Hey, it's Dan Hare, and welcome to Liner Notes, revealing chats with Canada's retro music makers. This is part two of my chat with Peter Foldy. And if you missed part one, you can check it out at linernotes.ca. Now let's pick up the conversation. We've been talking about the history of uh, what you did and how you came up and, of course, what you're doing now. And, you know, I always like to get a sense of, of the personal experience and, and, and the things that you go through because the music business is a series of ups and downs and, and you know, successes and maybe failures and, and aspirations and things that you want to do. And, and then life has a way of changing that for you. So what would you consider, like, was the peak of your career? Like, were the, you know, the best sort of time where you really felt like I'm in the zone here? I would say being on Capitol, being on a major yeah. label, walking into Capitol EMI and a huge picture of me on the wall beside Anne Murray and yeah. wow. the Beatles. You know, you go and you go, oh, shit, you know, that's me <laughs> on the wall. God, you know, it was, like, it was crazy. You know, I also, those are, those are like the, the heady times. Yeah. There was like a whole machinery working my stuff and, you know, promo guys would take me out to all the radio stations and you know i opened for the hollies across a bunch of dates in canada you know touring touring was fun sometimes touring was hard you know because you're on the road yeah you know, it's, it's weird but that that was the pinnacle for me i'd say yeah well it, it, and so what about the pressure i mean you're a young guy too right like i mean looking back on it now you, you you've got a, a better perspective but you're young and you're got stars in your eyes and all of a sudden you walk in, there's a big picture of yourself and you're doing, how did you handle that part of it? Um, I probably could have done a lot better with it. I didn't, like I said, I didn't understand the business. I didn't understand corporate structure. Uh, I thought the squeaky wheel gets the oil, which is partially true, but I sometimes I was probably a pain in the ass. I would call up too much and maybe they didn't want to hear from Peter Foldy, you know, and then I got a manager and he was even worse than me. They wanted me to drop him after a while because he was basically annoying them, but he was American and that's in America. They, they basically dive in head first and they, they push really hard. And I don't know if they appreciated that. And he was the guy that actually talked me into leaving capital EMI because he thought he could get me a better deal. And there was a loophole in the contract that he found and said, let's, let's get out of here. I'll, I'll get you directly signed directly to Polydor in the States. And then, like I said, he, he basically stopped being a manager to save his marriage, yeah. you know, heartbreaking for Interesting, because it's always a push pull, right? Like you have to, you have to have that pit bull manager that's in there in everybody's face. But then it's a push pull because it it, it becomes too much at yep. some point, right? You got to find that balance. Yep. The, but yeah, that was th- those were pretty. The three years I guess think I was on Capital, those were pretty magical. But Bondi Junction, when that came out, I mean, that was almost like I was in a fog because it was just so much so fast you know to see the record climb the way it did and hear it all the time on radio you know like sometimes you'd push one station push chum and it'd be playing and then you go to cftr it would be just starting and then you'd go to ckoc hamilton and it'd be just playing there you know it's like, like that happened to yeah. me once actually i heard it in three different places That's like cool, almost man. at one you go oh my god you know yeah most people never get that experience so yeah. that's a good one was, so you did a lot of touring did you like traveling or did- i didn't do a lot of touring uh, and that was another huge blunder that my my stage act wasn't together um that i didn't really put you know i i, I was just kind of threw things i threw an act together and i just i did covers i did daniel by elton john i didn't do 
many originals, and they probably didn't have the right kind of originals for the stage anyway. You know, like I think people want more yeah. upbeat stuff. Um, so that wasn't very thought out. Um, and also, I really jumped into, like I did an album after Bondi Junction, and really just basically recorded the first twelve songs that I had instead of doing co-writes, instead of you know working with better musicians, better writers. You know, so like in hindsight, I see where I screwed up. You know, what, what I didn't yeah, screw enough. up, but I could have done things differently. You know, so. Well, I was wondering about the touring thing too, because you have a basically a studio band, right? You go in and you record the album and stuff, and then they say, "Well, we want you to come and play," and then you got to think, "Well, I got to present these songs." the way that people hear them and put a band together and then go out and sort of bang the circuit. And then of course, like you said, they want to hear, you know, a concert, they want fun, upbeat yep. sort of thing. And you got to put a band together to do that. So did you have a studio band that you went out on the road with? No. So we found when I, I was on EMI, there's a Canadian band called Choya. They had sort of a hit called, I think it was called Linda put the coffee on. I, I, I might be wrong about that. But uh, maybe that was somebody else's song. Maybe that was Ray Materic. But um, anyway, they, they had a sort of a hit radio hit. And my producer at the time, this guy called Milan Kimlicka, was working with these guys. And he hired them to back me up on the Hollies tour. And they were two background singers and, and a four-piece band. And so I started working with those guys. And I became very close with them. And uh, after the Hollies yeah. tour... We dropped the girls, but you know the the, the four piece band and myself went out on the road. We played, you know, played across a bunch of places, mostly Ontario. Uh, prior, right after Bondi Junction, I also did a Maritimes tour with just a piano player and myself on guitar. We opened for a completely the rock the wrong band. We opened for a band called Abraham's Children, who were kind of like a heavy metal, like a kiss band without the makeup, you know, but they had the spandex pants and the high heel boots. And, and here I am, Peter, little Peter yeah. Foley with his, you know, acoustic guitar and the piano oh, player geez. singing Bondi Junction. And these guys, they wanted to rock, you know, and it's like, it, it was tough. <laughs> Could be where yeah. <laughs> so that was, but I had an amazing time on that trip because that was like going, the piano player was a guy called Tom Graham who, you know, became one of my best friends. And it was just two buddies on the road. We were driving in his, in his yeah. VW and we would, we'd show up in the town, we'd do the sound check, come and do the show. We'd be off stage at nine o'clock and we'd be having dinner. We'd be in the bar. We'd be talking to girls we'd be, or driving to the next city, getting a head start on the next town. You know, so you go on, you do your show, you take your money on to the next show. So it was like going on a great vacation with a, with a buddy. And we had a, an amazing, amazing Maritimes tour. That's oh, so good. Well, it's nice that you can reflect back on it the way that you just did. You know, that's important because those times become really sort of special and part of your whole musical story, right? Very, very much so. You know, later, you know, after when when I, I got off EMI, capital EMI, I, you know, I didn't know what to do. So I put a band together and it was some of those same guys from Troya and we went and toured. That wasn't fun. You know, we'd be playing in Thunder Bay for two weeks in a bar and nobody pays attention in a bar. They're there to get drunk and, you know, Bondi yeah. Junction didn't mean anything to those people and nothing, you know, nothing meant anything to those people. You know, they just wanted to rock and they wanted to get drunk. So that was a drag and the band and I started having 
problem. I mean, I was trying to keep it professional. It's like, hey, where's the piano player? Oh, he's out talking to some girl. Okay, tell him we're on in two minutes. Okay, hey, dude, Bruce, let's go. You know, yeah. you know. So there's a lot of like, I was trying to be the manager and the singer, and I think there was some resentment from those guys. They just wanted to, you know, get through this, and I just wanted to get through through it. And that was basically the last time I did a tour at least yeah that's uh, having been a band leader myself for many decades i know that i know that drill very well and yeah you got to take charge of things but it's it's uh it's a can be a, a difficult intense kind of road sometimes do you do live shows now like how many live shows would you do now i haven't done any live shows in a long time i'm trying to think of where i did a live show and i can't actually i've i've yeah. sung live on breakfast television just me and my guitar uh that was scary as hell because it's live yeah. <clears throat> i did i did a little um what do you call it? zoom show that you know the kid i told you about joel gavaya who did my toxic world video he yeah. books talent for a club in aurora ontario and he uh they were during covid they were doing the shows by zoom like they would have these 15 minute zoom shows and so yeah. i did one of those for him and that was fun that was like the first time in a long time that i actually it was live streaming live it was just me and my guitar and i i think i made that work i, I haven't i haven't watched it because i don't like to but you know they, people tell me they liked it so i'm happy yeah with well that was good well it's important to be out there too I mean, that's part of it as well right i mean some of these people are just out there out there out there everything they'll say yes to anything and do everything and the young and and energetic and ambitious people so you're kind of you're competing against that as well I very think. much so and, and i will say this um like it's a very it's a very young business it always has been but more so than ever you know and um i find in canada there's this kind of Dude, what the hell? You're singing at your age, Jesus. You know, yeah. you should be you should be retired. What what the hell? Whereas in America, people go, "Oh my God, I love your record. What a great track. What are you working on?" There's, there's more of an encouragement in terms of, I I don't know. I found a certain, you know, there's a story. There's a friend of mine or a former friend of mine who's been in the music business a long time, and I called him up to play him a track, and he I, I sent it to him by email. He wrote back to me. He said, Peter. What do you want from me? Can't we just be friends? He's in the music business. He's, he's yeah. works for a label. In other words, like, don't bother <laughs> me with this shit. You know, I, I I can't really help you. And he actually said, we don't work with people of your vintage. And I said, dude, first of all, you're my vintage, and you're doing, you're working in the music business. Secondly, I'm not asking you to sign me. I'm sending it to you as a friend to get your opinion, your input. You know, your encouragement. Does that does that cost money to say, hey, this is great, good track, yeah. man congrats you're still doing it you know that that's what i want to hear instead of we don't work with people your vintage okay yeah, it's kind of an ageism right i mean it's yep it's an anti-age thing and and a good song is a good song my old manager always said that you know good music will win out in the end just write good songs and sing well and and leave it where it is absolutely and you know if you listen to my stuff you listen to toxic world i don't think you can guess my age from that <laughs> you know like i well, i yeah. yeah, your age should be irrelevant. It's a great song, great yeah. video, great production. You know, really. Well, yeah. thank you so much. No, thank I, you. I, appreciate I appreciate it. that. Man. It was obviously, you spent some money on it. You spent some time on it. And, you know, it's funny because be, being an older gentleman myself, I, I'm a little bit behind you. But, uh, you know, I, I, I often say to people in their 20s and stuff, well, I never discriminated against anybody in their 20s. I was very capable when I was in my 20s. And so I don't care what age you are. If yep. you're 20 or 60, it makes no difference to me. If you can sing and play, you can sing and play. Yeah. Sing and play. 
and lots of people of, of many ages are doing it. And why shouldn't they? Why shouldn't they? Yeah. There's lots of examples of, you know, the, the stars that sing well into their seventies and eighties. I mean, Absolutely. They get celebrated uh, for doing it, right? Tony Bennett, I think is 90 and he, I don't know yeah. if he's touring anymore, but man, you know, he's amazing. Yeah. So you've met lots of people over the years and in, in the, both the music business and of course, actors and stuff. Are you, are you good buddies with anybody? Are you close to people in the biz or is it more of just a, of a business relationship? That you have? Uh, my best friend is the guy that I um, had that very first band with before I did Bondi Junction who went off to be a, a do- uh, went off to med school. His name is Joel Clarefield and he lives in LA. And so him and his wife, like I see them every weekend, we, we do like a three or a five mile jog on Sundays and usually have like sun- Sunday brunch. So he's a doctor, but most of my friends are basically related to the business somehow. Uh, I'm not like, I don't hang out with any movie stars or rock stars. You know, I know people, I've met people, you know, I've, I've pretty much met everybody in the Canadian music industry from the, from my era, yeah. from the seventies, you know, you go to like the Juno awards or you go to the BMI awards or something like that. You, you kind of get to meet everybody, but no, my friends are pretty down to earth. Like my other really close friend is a, is a film director who's directed yeah. a ton of movies and television. So I do hang out with people in the business because it's a theme that, you know, most people who are outside of the business don't understand it. So it's yeah. good to have people who get it when you talk about it. So yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. But it's funny how you, I've heard it over and over again, talking to people and interviewing people that, you know, their buddies are the people they bonded with oftentimes early in life, but just went through things together. And and they're the people you've had heart to heart talks with and that you have related to and that you still relate to. Absolutely. You know, like they're part of your, the fabric of your life and they're part of your history. And, you know, they, they've seen you go through the ups and downs. Let's just take a quick break and uh, we'll come right back with Peter Foldy. Hey, do you want to hear about new episodes before they go live? Then join the Liner Notes VIP community. You'll be able to listen to the weekly podcast before the general public, plus the episodes have no ads, breaks, or interruptions of any kind. You'll also hear exclusive bonus episodes and be the first to know about upcoming guests. To check out the details and become a member, go to linernotes.ca. Now let's get back to our special guest. So. The other question I had for you, someone like you who's who's so diversified, do you, do you think that you diversified maybe too much or that you focused on so many different things that you weren't able to focus on one thing and sort of one goal? Well, not really, because when I was doing music, I wasn't doing anything else. So I was very, very focused on on the music in my career. And when I fell into the music, uh, the film business, you know, with that first film and then went on to direct, that's all I did. And making a film is usually a one-year process. I mean, you, you shoot it in three or four weeks or five weeks, but it takes a long time to do post-production and color timing and everything else that needs to be done. So there wasn't really much time in the film world to focus on, you know, a- anything else. Although I did try and put music into most of the films I worked on. And I, I think I have a song in almost everything I've done, even if it's just some instrumental playing in the background. But um, yeah, no, I was, I, yeah. I, I went from music right to film and now I'm sort of back to the music again al- alongside of the film stuff. Yeah. And I love it. I mean, it's, it's, for me, it's not a criticism. I like the, the fact that people can do many different things. It's just, I've, I've heard some people say that, you know, I didn't focus enough. If you want to be a pop star, for example, you got to give your life to that. Like you have to focus every day when you get up every morning, you have to focus on that. And if pretty you much too much, it takes away from that. Right. Pretty much. Yeah, I, I, I think so. And that's why 
it makes sense to do that when you're 18 or 19. You know, you don't have kids, you don't have, you know, you have nothing to do but focus on your life and your career. And you probably also have a great team that's driving you along, that's pushing you along and working for you. There's a lot of pressure that goes along with that too, right? As some of the stars have cracked under that pressure. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, you know, you can, you can see it and uh, yeah, it, it goes with the territory. So what did you, you know, when you look back on your life, what did you sacrifice for, for the things that you achieved? You know, did you make some certain sacrifices? In yeah, life? I would say stability, like yeah. the, the kind of the stability of like, you know, wife and kids and things like that. So, you know, some people just have that life and I'm sure it's very satisfying. It was just, you know, not, it just didn't go that route for me. So, you know, that's definitely something I sacrificed yeah. for sure. You know, uh, probably not, <laughs> probably not in hindsight, you know, but look, I've also lived in four different countries. I'm sort of like a gypsy in a sense, you know, like, you know, I've traveled a lot in between. So yeah, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's nice to have stability, a family, a family unit, you know, I mean, I have, look, I have family, but you know, and I've, I've been in relationships and stuff like that, but I just never had kids and did that traditional traditional raise your kids see, see them off to college so i i do you know you always want what you don't have and that's something i have not had well i suppose and also a vantage point when you're looking back you're, you're sort of looking at the whole landscape and going yeah that this happened and that happened and you just do what you think you should do at the time right Every, everything you do brings you to that moment and you say well this is what i'm doing now and i'm going to carry on with it and see how life goes so sometimes it unfolds in a way that that maybe you didn't plan, but that's just the way that it unfolds. And then you look, look back on it and go, you know, okay, if I could do it again, you know, what would you change about things or how your life was handled, your managers, your bandmates, the studios, the producers, like you said about the record deal, you know, maybe you wouldn't have got out of that record deal. Absolutely. You know, hindsight is twenty twenty. You know, you realize later on what, what you could have done, should have done, but you don't know at the time. You're just caught up in it. Yeah, look, we're all caught up in the day-to-day right now. We're, I'm doing this right now. You're doing this right now. This is what we're focusing on. So that's how it goes. You know, when you're in the entertainment business, especially because it's heady and, you know, can, can be exciting or whatever, you, you get swept up in it. And that's what becomes your main main focus. Yeah, well, that's and, and it's it's it really is true. And when you look at, for example, with David Foster, you read his book. You know, he he was just obsessed with the manager, uh, with the producing and stuff. He went through several marriages. And um, Shania Twain talks about Mutt Lang, saying how how focused he was and how obsessed he was with what he was. I mean, everyone that that has a a level of success has has had that level of sacrifice that goes along with it. It seems, or that you do one thing at the expense of doing something else. Yeah, I mean. If you really want to make it, you have to want it so bad that there's nothing else that you can taste it, you know, like you have to want it so bad. And especially now, because it's so much competition out there, like you said, and uh, David Foster actually played on the original Roxanne, by the way. Uh, the one I recorded. Oh, he, yeah, he, I, I worked. With oh, well, he was back. He, he played with Ronnie Hawkins, right? He was back in Toronto. No, that was recorded in uh, Los Angeles. It was recorded okay. at uh, what was it called? Wally Hyder Studios. And I had David Foster. I had a guy called. Um, oh gosh, I'm now going to blank on all the names. Gosh, they <laughs> just flew out of my head. Um, uh, Wilton Felder, very famous bass player. Jim Gordon. Yeah. Uh, he was a drummer from the Wrecking Crew. He was one of the yeah. Wrecking Crew drummers, very famous drummer. Uh, he wrote 
I could be wrong about this. I think he had something to do with Layla. Now, okay, I have to look this up. But Jim Gordon yeah. is really famous. He's been in jail since about that time because he hacked up his mother with an axe shortly oh, after geez. I worked with him. Yeah, and I think right. he's still in jail. But he was a super talent. And uh, I also had yeah. David Page from Toto. So I had some capital, you know, got me some serious players and some serious yeah. – studio time in your life have has anyone taken advantage of you or mistreated you along the way like when you look back in your career do you think you were you were mistreated in any way i wouldn't say mistreated but as i you know my, as my music career was sort of winding down i started thinking about where's the money where's the money you know yeah. like I, how come i i don't have as much as i thought i would have what, what, what did i i didn't you know i spent some money but there was money that was being paid to my manager for instance who was supposed to pay me or there was money sent to agent so yeah. there was definitely some accounting issues uh, you know bondi junction sold a lot of records and like i don't recall seeing a lot of money for that the, the only money that i got was the money that would come directly to me as a writer from SOCAN or from um, from ASCAP. Yeah. That money came comes directly to the writer and to the publisher. Record sales and yeah. all those other things, you know, they kind of go to, they kind of get filtered down and the record labels deduct cost of marketing, cost of recording. So everything is charged back to the artist as well recouped. So I didn't, I certainly didn't make as much money as one would think holy god you've had you know number one in canada and several top tens you know you should be doing super well but yeah you should be some serious paychecks uh, from that you'd think sure. and i you know i kind of blame myself for that like it's like perhaps my own negligence that i didn't pursue it but you know i was focused on the music and yeah i think i think the business is different now you know i mean you're you were probably a, a victim of your time as much as anything you know when you read stories about like ccr for example i read john fogarty's book and stuff and they were driving around in limos and everything was looked after and then they were getting shafted they just didn't realize that they were young guys they had stars in their eyes everything was great yeah and those limos were being charged back to them oh yeah yeah, yeah so else was scraping off a lot of money off the top that's that's how it works there's a ton of money in the music business there's a lot of greedy hands and greedy oh, yeah. people with their hands out waiting to take it yeah well I'm, but, I'm sorry to hear that but i guess that's just the nature of the business back then right but you know what honestly it doesn't matter because i got to experience something most people never will like you said you know i realized that yeah. and i've got the opportunity to impact some people with some music that has touched them, which people do tell me, you know, yeah. with Bondi Junction and people are very, you know, kind about toxic world. Like everybody really, I, like I have not had anything bad about that. Everybody really likes it. And so I'm doing music that people are enjoying and I'm getting a great thrill out of making it myself. It's very therapeutic for me. I love being in the studio. Like when I'm in the, in the vocal booth and I'm in front of the thing and I got the earphones on, I go, yes, this is, I'm, I'm, at, I'm at my happiest, you know, it's, it's really satisfying. Yeah, good. Well, it's an inspiration too. Like it's inspiring for people, especially even musicians, but other people too. Say, so get up there, sing who, you know, no one can stop you from, from doing what you want to do, do what you want to do and do the best you can at it. And it's, it's inspiring. So I, I like that. Aspect yeah. And you know too. what? I'd love to find some young artist and write songs with them or for them and try and produce them and, and sort of, you know, 
pass it on in a sense, you know, like, like help other people yeah. or, you know, they would help me too, you know, cause, cause you never know. You could find the next yeah. Sean Mendez. He's out there somewhere or the next Justin Bieber. Just like, yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, that's, that's one of the questions too, I, that I have, you know, you're still writing songs, you play guitar, play piano. Do you, you know, what other things do you want to do? You know, like you have a bucket list of things that you'd like to do before, uh, before you're not able to do uh, I want to make more music for sure. Uh, you know, I want to make more movies for sure. I mean, I've got, you know, I've knock on wood, I've, you know, I'm pretty healthy in terms of, you know, I jog and I'm, you know, I, you know, I'm a vegetarian. I, I do my best, you know, like I, all you can do is your best because you, you can run, but you can't hide. If something's going to get you, it will. But, you know, I, I do my best to stay healthy and I want to, keep being creative. Uh, I do a lot of photography, you know, I've, I've got a lot of really cool negatives. I'd like, I've had a couple of exhibits. I'd like to have a couple more of those. And I really want to travel. You know, I, I, I love, I want to go back to Australia. Like that was my happy time, really. Like the 10 years in Australia was just a wonderful place to grow up. It's, you know, that's why I love California because it's so much like Australia. So I had a really good time. I was, I was a kid. I was doing TV commercials, uh, you know, as, as a, you know, an actor, I was hanging out with the B young Bee Gees, you know, these really unique, special kids. They were so precocious, you know, they were not like any other kids. Like they were, you know, they had this wicked sense of humor. So being around them was a very interesting learning curve. And I also had a very active social life. I had girlfriends. I had, you know, I had a very fun time in Australia as a teenager. But I guess the the rub is that you have a foot in different places, right? So you part of your heart is in Australia. Of course you're from Hungary. You live in Toronto. You live in LA. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I love Europe as a, cause I'm sort of, Euro I am European. I was born in Europe. So whenever I go to Hungary, it's almost like stepping back into a past life. And I used to go a lot, you know, and for, unfortunately a lot of my okay. relatives have passed on, but I still want to, I still have plans. Like when this damn COVID thing is over, man, I just, you know, I want to hit the road. I want to go back to Europe. I yeah. want to go to Australia, you know, and just keep, being creative as long as I can. Well, like I said, it's an inspiration to people too. So I really appreciate it. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you and uh, get your insights on the things that you went through and stuff. That's the cool part for me, you know, is, is the experience that the person had rather than the details of, of this happened, that happened, that happened. It's like, well, how did it affect you? How, how did you feel when this was happening? You know, that, that, the cool part yeah. of it for me. No, I agree. It's always it's always interesting to know how how it affects people. That's the interesting part because we know it happened, but how did you feel when it happened? That's that's the interesting part. And listen, I really appreciate you uh, you chatting, and I've really enjoyed this. Thank you, Dan. Many thanks to my guest Peter Foldy for being part of the Liner Notes podcast and sharing some insights from his expansive career and the interesting life that he has lived. More information on his musical pursuits, as well as film, photography, and musical supervision is available at peterfoldy.com. Very nice website, by the way. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the podcast and invite you to subscribe to it and share it on social media so others can enjoy it as well. We also invite you to listen to Dusty Discs Radio at dustydisksradio.com, Tuesdays and Thursdays, to hear music from the Canadian artists you are hearing on this show. Until next time, I'm Dan Hare. 